good to see each and every one of you uh, here today. Choir, uh, outstanding as always. Thank you so much, Dana. Uh, thank you for your worship leadership. And Patty, uh, good to share uh, in worship with you. Uh, I'm Ed Glaze, one of the pastors here at Boone United Methodist Church. And it's just an honor and privilege to worship with you all here in this space. And also with those who are worshiping online, as you uh, heard, that we have 150 people or 150 uh, devices that view us, and some estimate that would be 1.5 per household. So it's, you know, well over 200 people that are tuning in um, each week in some form or fashion. So thank you all for uh, taking time in your schedules who are, are uh, tuning in online. We're in a series of sermons, uh, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, and I know we had uh, some snowy weather uh, last week, so a lot of you all couldn't come in person, but I hopefully tuned in online. But we've been uh, talking about this costly journey uh, that Jesus made to the cross, and we're, we're looking at uh, this journey as recorded in the Good News According to Luke, where, where we remember, uh, starting with uh, chapter 9, verse 51, where Jesus said, I steadfastly set my eyes uh, to head to Jerusalem. So, on that trek, as we see in Luke's gospel, there are several people that he encounters and several stories that he tells uh, that help us in our day and time as we're making our own costly journeys as disciples of, of Christ. So uh, here now, the word of the Lord is found in Luke's gospel uh, in the 12th chapter, where we're going to look at, well, this encounter that Jesus has uh, with someone in the crowd. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up my grains and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things that you have prepared Whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to start off asking you a question. And this is such a uh, disturbing question in some ways that you might be thinking about it throughout the sermon. And well, that's okay. Because this is a question that we all have to face at one point. What if this was your last day on earth? What would you do differently? How would you spend your time, your resources? If this was your last day on earth, what would you do differently? The premise for that question comes from this encounter that uh, Jesus has uh, with this stranger there in the crowd. It, earlier in this chapter, we're told that the crowds are so great that they're mobbing Jesus. If you all remember the videos and the clips that you saw of when the, the Beatles or Elvis were performing, all those people, ah, 
ah, screaming and hollering and running towards it to be with, with the, those groups. Well, that was what happened here. In fact, it says that the people were trampling all over each other to get to Jesus, just like some rock concert. And so there, there's all these people there, lots of folks gathered around him. He's teaching words of life that are about eternity and the kingdom of God. And then this guy, in the midst of Jesus talking about the things of God's kingdom, raises his hand and said, Hey, Jesus, tell my brother here to give me my share of the inheritance. Talk about an interruption to the flow of a sermon. Can you imagine, here I am preaching away, guy gets up here and said, Ed, my, my brother ain't treating me right. Can, can you tell him that I need him to give me what's my due? I mean, I would call Eric from the back and say, Usher, get this guy out of here right now. Well, Jesus is a little more gracious than me. And he said, friend, who made me arbiter or judge over you? Well, see what this young man is more than likely. He's the younger son there in this family where the father apparently has passed away. And he's just wanting his fair share. In, in Jewish law at the time, the oldest son got two-thirds of everything. And so this guy is saying, hey, my, my brother ain't, he ain't even giving me that. And of course, he, he might really have a bone to pick. I mean, if he wasn't getting anything, he, he did have something to worry about. But y'all, if you're before the king of the universe, the one who created everything, who threw the supernovas in, into to the sky, you're worried about mere inheritance when you have the Lord God Almighty in front of you? And kind of that's what Jesus is getting at, isn't it? What's truly important here isn't your wealth, isn't your stuff, isn't the things of this earth. Be concerned about that which you can't be taken from you. Now, I hesitate to ask this question. You're already thinking about this deep question. This one isn't so deep. How many of y'all remember the sermon from last week? Anybody? Anybody? Not a hand in the air. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to preach that sermon first, and then we'll get to this one. Okay. <laughs> All right. It was about Martha and Mary. Y'all, some, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Martha and Mary. And you might remember this story. It was a squabble between siblings, right? Here's Martha. She's cleaning the house. She's working all over. We saw great actors and actresses last week give a presentation about that. And she's there. That daggum sister of mine, all she's doing is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, make my sister get up and do some work. I mean, she's just being a lazy bones. And those of you that remember the sermon might remember this, that Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about many things. But Mary is concerned about the only thing that's important. She has chosen the better part. See, in this three weeks that we're going to be having discussions last week, this week, and the next week when we talk about the prodigal son, there's an argument between siblings there too. And Jesus is telling all of them, be concerned about what is truly, truly important. But then, you know, Jesus says to, to Martha, because women can understand things, I guess, better than us men can. He, you know, he said it straight out to, uh, to Martha. Jesus looked at this guy and said, 
I think I'm going to have to really explain something to this fellow. You know, I'm, I'm going to have to illustrate my point here. And so he tells a story. And like all stories, we can work our way into it and find the meaning that it's for us. And so Jesus, this gracious Lord and Savior, tells a story about, well, I don't know how it's labeled in your Bible. My Bible is called the rich fool. might be the rich farmer, uh, the foolish farmer. I don't know. But it's called the rich fool of mine. But I'm going to modernize it just a little bit and see where you fit maybe in the story. There's a guy named George. He gets a call from his broker and said, George, why are you working so hard still? Have you seen your investment portfolio lately? I know what the stock market's doing right now, so this, this doesn't apply right now. But can you imagine that, that, that this does, does happen? And George it gets this call. He's got more money, the broker says, than you can spend in your lifetime. All that hard work, all those smart investments. Hey, your ship has come in, buddy. You're rich. Take it easy. You don't have to work anymore. And after George hangs up the phone and gets the email in with the, the attachment that shows him how well his investments have done over, over the last few years, he says to himself, I know what I'm going to do, Self. First thing I'm going to do is call my boss and say, hey, boss, shove it. I quit. And then he, he hangs up the phone. And, and then he begins to think about all the things. Man, look at all this money. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear down that old house of mine. I'm going to build me a bigger one. And, and you know, uh, that, that little cabin that I've had out from, that where I hunt at, I'm going to tear that thing down too. I'm going to build me a big one. I mean, it's going to have indoor plumbing and everything. It, it, it is, it's, it's a big place. And man, you know, I've always wanted a place at the beach. And, and so I'm going to go buy me something or build me something on the Outer Banks. Now, note, I didn't say the Gulf Coast, okay? You know, I'm, I'm trying to get North Carolina eyes here. Yeah, he, he, he build, he's building something there. I'm going to build something on the Outer Banks. And then when I get all these projects going, oh, I'm going to get me a, a ticket for around the world cruise. I'm going to travel and see all sorts of stuff. And, you know, I hear Tahiti's pretty cool. I'm going to make sure that boat stops for a month in Tahiti. And I'm going to just sit there and eat, drink, and be merry. Lay out there on the beach. I'm going to eat shrimp cocktails and drink margaritas. I'm just going to have the best of time because I've got it made. Well, that very night, old George says, I'm going to go out and celebrate. And he gets some friends together, and they go to a restaurant, and he orders the biggest steak that he can find, and he gets some lobster as an appetizer, and he's there eating, drinking. He doesn't order the $10 bottle bottle of wine, y'all. He's got the $100 bottle of wine he orders. He's there living it up. And he drives home. He begins to think, you know, that steak's not sitting too well. And, well, you know, it's not just indigestion. You know that you heard the end of the story. George doesn't wake up the next morning. And the story ends, and whose will all that wealth be? It's a question that we have to ask ourselves. All the stuff that we're working for, all the stuff we've been striving for, all the stuff that we've gotten maybe in our retirement accounts, who's that going to be for Jesus then, after the end of the story, said, Beware of greed, for you're searching after much possessions and much goods. Well, what good is that? 
in the light of God's kingdom. Now, that word greed's an interesting word. You know, it can be translated avarice, which is seeking after riches, going after gain. And most of us think to ourselves, you know, I'm not greedy. You know, I, I just want enough to live on. I, I just want my, my fair share of things. When, when we think about greed, we think about that, that story about John D. Rockefeller, the first billionaire in, in America, when asked after he'd made all this wealth at, at Standard Oil, said this, Mr. Rockefeller, how much more money do you need? And he said this, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. You know? That's what we think about. We think about that miser bringing it all in. We think about those people that are, are constantly selling and buying and, and, and trading and, and saying, I just got to get more money. I got to get more of this. That we think that's what greed is all about. And that is true. But greed and avarice mean seeking after and, and searching after more and more and more. And y'all, our whole society is based on greed. Our whole society is based on getting people to long for more. That's what commercials are all about. Well, you don't believe me? Think about your own lifetime. I I think some of y'all might be able to remember houses in the 50s and the 60s. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you can't, but think about that. The average house size in the United States at that time was less than 1,200 square feet. Less than 1,200 square feet. Packed to the gills with us baby boomers, right? You know? As we... Now the average house size is around 2,400 square feet with fewer people in them. Bigger barns, you see. Bigger barns. I think about my own experience. It, um, my wife and daughter... We're down in Winston-Salem. We saw an open house. They went to that house. It was redone, but it was built in the 20s. And they said, you know, the thing that was interesting about that house, the closets were really small. There was hardly any room for anything in them. Think about our closets over our time. I mean, I've got, I've been in places that closets could be bowling alleys. I mean, we got all, all this stuff that we store in our closets. Because you see, we live in a society based on Well, another word for greed is consumption, where we consume and consume and get and and get. I think about our own experience. My wife and I, when we first were married, I was a young second lieutenant, and we got sent to George Airplane Patch, and our home was a cinder block house, 800 square feet. And we had an old used couch we bought from a sailor. It smelled like a sailor. Uh, and we had a television set that was used, and it would keep blinking out. And, y'all, it went out at the end of the Iron Bowl. Now, that's the Auburn-Alabama game, for those of you that aren't familiar with that. I didn't know the score to the next day. I mean, but we were reasonably happy. And one home we bought uh, when we were in Alabama, though, we had a bathroom that seemed like as big as that house. I mean, that, that's the house that we bought. All the houses are that way. Y'all, we live in a society based on consumption and greed. Now, that, don't think that's true. Have you noticed the portion sizes at restaurants recently? They tell us that they've doubled in size over the last 25 years. Doubled. 
And I seem to eat it all up every time I sit down there. You're, yeah, but they have. Our appetites have grown, you see. And is it any wonder that on average Americans are a little heavier than they used to be? I'll just put it that way. And we have to ask ourselves, has this consumption, has this expanding our barns, so to speak, made us any happier? Not according to the research that's been done. Americans are unhappier than many cultures that have far less. Wow. So, you know, we, just because of the society we live in, we naturally, we can't help it. We're greedy. Can't, you know, that's hard. It's hard, isn't it? Because we don't think ourselves that way. I'm just an average American based on a consumer society. That's hard. But Jesus helps us with this. The antidote to consumption and greed is these things. Thankfulness and generosity and learning, learning, well, how to answer the question I posed to you earlier, how to die to self. It's interesting in the story that Jesus tells that this fella, uh, he realizes, I've got it made. This farm has produced more than I can harvest and store, and I've got to build bigger barns. Do we hear anywhere in his pontification to himself any word of thanksgiving? No. We don't hear him say, God, thank you for providing the adequate sunshine so that the crops will grow. Thank you, Lord, that the rain is coming down just in the right amount so that my crops will flourish. Because any farmer will tell you that if you get too much rain, well, it's going to cause mildew or flood the plants. And if you don't get enough rain, well, they're not going to sprout because it's just too dry. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, for providing this land that's so rich and fertile so that my crops will grow. Do you say anything like that? Nah. And tied to thanksgiving is generosity. We don't, we don't hear uh, this, this successful farmer say, God, you know, I've got all this abundance, and, you know, I'm going to give to you what you have asked me to give. I'm going to give back to you so that your work can continue in the temple or the synagogue, this 10%. And then thinking about the, the people in need that are, are, are nearby him. Say, so, Lord, I know there's that family down, uh, down the path that is struggling. They got all those kids, and, you know, he's barely getting by. I, I'm going to give some of that food to him. And, God, I've got these barns that are so full, so rich. I mean, I can open up a feed pa- food pantry right here in my own house. Nothing. No thankfulness. No thought of generosity at all. But the remedy to our avarice, our consumption, and our greed, again, I'm not saying that you're greedy. I'm saying we live in a society of greed, is thankfulness and generosity. And in some ways, I'm preaching to the choir here. I really am. Y'all are shown that you're generous people. Give you an example. About a month ago, we had a Ukrainian pastor from Kharkiv. Uh, come speak to us. Uh, we, you know, it's a beautiful relationship. We won't get into all the, the story behind it, but a uh, pastor, Vlad Callen from Harcreeves, came 
and shared how he and his church have went into where their bombed out region was, where the Russians were attacking, and they got people and they stuffed them in cars and vans and whatever they could find to get people out of there uh, so they wouldn't be killed. But a lot of people did stay. And so after uh, the Ukrainian forces pushed the Russians back and, and freed up that city, they went in in vans and took food and water and all sorts of supplies. These people that were living literally underground in bunkers and in basements. And he showed pictures of these vans. And, and when they delivered the food uh, to the people there, uh, they would hold a worship service. And they would uh, strive to help people be introduced to Jesus. There's a picture of them right there. There's Pastor Vlad uh, with his guitar after they handed out the supplies to the, like that woman there. They'd have a worship service and introduce people to Christ. Beautiful. And Pastor Vlad said, you know, we're trying to buy a bus so that we can take more supplies in. And, and if people have to evacuate, we can take more people out. And so that we have a bigger venue for which we can worship and, and lead people to Christ. And he said, you know, it, it's going to cost around $10,000. And you good people responded. We have the money, and we've sent it to Pastor Vlad, and they're going to buy that bus because of your generosity, your heart, your willingness to give. And one person called me up right after Pastor Vlad's presentation and said, I want to make sure that this bus is purchased. God's been good to me. God has blessed me. God has enabled me to, to do this, and I want to make sure those people have the means in which to do their ministry. And so when I was thinking about the sermon, I decided to say, maybe I can talk to her and she'd, she'd let me share about this. And when I called the other day, this person was working and volunteering at the cancer center, showing that generosity isn't just about what we give financially, it's about how we give our lives. Wow. There's a church filled with people like that. So on behalf of the New Life Church at Harkreef, thank you for every Ukrainian family that's being blessed by uh, this bus delivering food and water and needed supplies. Thank you for the people that are going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because they get introduced to Christ at one of these delivery centers that the New Life Church is doing. Thank you. Generosity and thankfulness are what help us cure this epidemic of greed and covetousness that's in our nation. But one thing that isn't pointed out lots of times by the commentators when we read this text, did you, did you notice what the farmer said? He said, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to drink my wine or my margarita, whatever his favorite drink is that day. He's going to, he's going to sit around and he is just going to absorb everything and, and, it, and consume everything because, I, you know, I'm done working. I'm, well, retired. <laughs> and, you know, some people think that all of life is about trying to reach this point well, we don't have to do anything. Well, we're always called to use a gift of who we are to bless the world. Now, I've, I've given up the news for Lent 
and my blood pressure is way low right now. I tell you, I, I am not having that heartburn of hearing all that stuff that's going on in the world and, and things that are happening. And because I have to admit, I, I can't be a news junkie. But the other day, I was getting ready to, to work out. And, uh, you know, I listen to podcasts, and some of them are news-oriented. And a podcast popped up that talks about the people in France being upset over this increase in the retirement age. And I knew kind of where I'm, the Lord was leading me on this sermon, and, and I said, you know, maybe I should listen to that. So I said a quick prayer. I said, God, can I listen to that? And I didn't hear anything, so I listened to the podcast. <laughs> and in it, it talks about, you know, the French people thinking that, well, life's about getting to retirement. There, there are fussing about moving the retirement age from 62 to 64. And here's a statement that was made by the reporter who lives in France. He knows the French people very, very well. He said, for many Frenchmen and women, they say life begins at retirement. Life begins at retirement. How sad is that? Living for 62 years and not really living. Friends, life doesn't begin at retirement. First of all, life begins when God gifts us with that initial breath that we breathe when we are born. So, more importantly, life truly begins when we come to Christ and live for him and experience that life that's abundantly eternal. And sharing that life with others, the gift of who we are from that created before we were born, God gifting us to be a gift, a blessing to the world. It doesn't matter our age, whether we're working and very busy or whether we have been blessed to reach the age of retirement. We're all called to do more than to strive, more to do more than just uh, be there seeking after the next best thing. We're called bless the world with who we are. Share another story of a good person within the life of this church who sees his life as a gift and particularly his life in retirement. It's David Turner. Now, he attends the early service, so some of y'all might not know him, but he's around a lot. Can't miss him. He's about 6'6". He's a big old fella. He served for 30 years as a policeman in the Charlotte area, a life of service. He even was wounded in the line of duty. But he said when he retired and he got to move to this beautiful place where lots of people do come uh, to enjoy uh, the beauty of God's earth in this gorgeous area. He said, I'm not just going to sit around and sip sodas and just lounge and take hikes and go golfing. no. God's gifted me, and I want to serve. And so he does. You'll see him uh, every Saturday out at the wood pile, uh, chopping wood and, and hauling it to people who need firewood to heat their homes. Uh, you're going to see him with other men in our church who go out and about and do home repairs and make wheelchair ramps for people. Uh, you'll see him serving most Sundays here at the church, uh, either greeting or ushering or welcoming people. Uh, he's, he's here very regularly. And if you're blessed to come on Thursday nights, and we have a great uh, team of people that fix meals on Thursday nights, but you know who does the dishes most every Thursday? 
David. He's there in the back with that big squirter, squirting off the dishes, rinsing them off, putting them into the, the dishwasher and taking the dishes back to where they belong. Where he sees his life as being a servant in retirement, blessing the world you see. And he's passing along that gift to the next generation for lots of Thursdays. You're going to see his son, a student at App, there in the kitchen washing dishes too. Wow. But David has learned the secret to the answer to the question I posed to you earlier. It's giving ourselves sacrificially that frees us from worry about what's going to happen next. You know, oftentimes in a sermon, we're going to take one little bit and preach on it and, and act like it's just a, a little, uh, that's all there is to the, what's going on here in the story. But we don't read stories that way, do we? So I'm just going to read this snippet and then not worry about the rest of it. No, this story is in a long, that I told you is in a long sayings of Jesus in response to this fellow's question. And he starts talking about worry. Why are you worried about all this stuff? All these things that concern us, like our houses, our cars. He didn't say those things, but he says, what you eat and what you shall drink. Why are you worried about all that? For you see, much of what we strive after is based in fear, isn't it? Fear that I don't have enough for retirement. Fear that if I don't have the house in the right neighborhood, and oftentimes those are the more expensive houses, then my kids aren't going to go to a good school. Now, in this area, we're so blessed to have good public schools throughout Watauga County. We don't worry about that. Oh, we, we fear that, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to miss out on some, something. That's a saying of our younger people, fear of missing out. But I think a lot of our stuff that we do, that we buy, that we try to obtain, is covering over the fact that one day we won't be here anymore. And so in our culture, we covered up with activities, with busyness, with stuff. And Jesus said, don't worry about all that. Seek after my kingdom first. And what his kingdom looks like is like what Jesus did, living lovingly, and sacrificially for the world. Learning to die to self. As Jesus talks about earlier in this narrative, taking up our cross, meaning dying to self, daily and following him. We in the Christian tradition baptize people. You know, believe it or not, we do, yeah. We take some down to a cold river uh, and baptize them. Now, you've heard my saying, if we ever do a renovation, I want a hot tub so we can do baptisms in it. You know, that, that would be marvelous. But we, we take them to cold rivers to, to baptize them. It's hard <laughs> in those rivers, yeah. But we say this, even with infant baptisms, that dying, being re- rise, risen up in life in Christ. See, one of the things that we are to do in our faith is learn to die to ourselves. 
Just like Jesus willingly offered up his life for us so that he experienced life gloriously for all of us. But we have to learn to die. In the Ash Wednesday service, I I asked us to, you know, take time at night to contemplate, you know, our day. To give thanks for things, yeah, but also to think about how we had betrayed Christ. And we, you know, we did 30 pieces of silver bags. And I think there's still some in the back if you haven't gotten those. And two weeks later uh, from now at Palm Sunday, we're going to ask you to turn those bags in as we remember how, well, we haven't lived like Jesus would have us to live and receiving his forgiveness and his pardon. But one of the things that we do is, well, we think about that we're about to go to sleep. What's sleep? It's practicing dying every night. Every night we practice. And we got to ask ourselves, if we didn't wake up, what would that be like? In my better moments at night, when I do take time to reflect on the day, I recall uh, this hymn that's in our hymnal, 682, not going to sing it, and I'm definitely not going to sing it for you because, well, you'd want to leave the church right away. I get that. But there's a verse in it that says, teach me to live that I may dread the grave as little as my bed. Teach me to die that so I may rise gloriously at the judgment day. Learning to die to ourselves so that we will live eternally is what Jesus showed us and what Jesus enables us to do, helps us to do, so that we overcome uh, this natural tendency to consume. And so that we, as Jesus said, can be free from worry and we can claim this marvelous promise that's at the end of this discussion that he talks about worry, which was and more the response to this man's question. He said, Fear not, little flock. Don't worry, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Wow. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And if we live in this graciously thankful way, this way of generosity, this way of learning to die to ourselves, well, It's as Catherine of Siena said, heaven is heaven all the way to heaven. Heaven is heaven all the way to heaven, meaning we're living in a life where life abundantly eternal is being lived out right now in our lives. And it's heaven all the way to heaven. Don't you want to live a life that way? That we're free from the fears and worries of this world. And please hear me, church, there's nothing wrong with going on a cruise or, or taking a trip or enjoying the good things of life. It's pursuing them and those things alone and not be concerned about the things of God. And when we put God first, as Jesus said, everything else, the kingdom is ours. And then we have no reason to fear, not even death. I'm going to close with a reading that I believe is going to be on the screen because our good tech team has got it all together. Oh, look at that. Great tech team. It's from St. Teresa of Avila. 
And I'm going to ask us to read this together as a closing and as a word for us to take home. Let nothing frighten you. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing upset you. Everything changes. God alone is unchanging. With patience, all things are possible. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone is enough. God alone is enough. Live like that is true. And you'll have more than enough. And your heart will be free to be generous, to be thankful, to live sacrificially for others. Go and do those things. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.